we kind of grew up thinking like, I have to make right decisions. I have to make good decisions. And if I make the wrong decision, then like there's going to be like terrible consequences. But the thing is, is that you have to make decisions based on what feels right for you, based on the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. You need the emotional brain. You need the logical brain. And the middle ground between the both of them is your wise brain. So if you're making decisions with the best that you can with your wise brain, then you are doing the best that you can. And that's all that matters. Welcome to the Active Ingredient Podcast, your destination for all things personal and professional growth. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am an intentional brand builder on a mission to inspire people to build not only their dream businesses that are fully in alignment and that actually feel good for them to be in, but more importantly, to create well-rounded lives that are in alignment with their values. I believe that we can only grow outward in proportion to how aligned we are internally, and that slowly but surely, we are all capable of creating lives that feel incredibly fulfilling to be fully present in. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Active Ingredient. I hope that you're doing great and that getting back in the swing of things is feeling good and that it's feeling in flow. I just am obsessed with fall. I love this season so much. I feel like there's so much hope and excitement and just like buzz And, you know, you better believe I have my little pumpkins all over the apartment and the fall candle, not to be basic, but I just love just leaning in. So I really cannot tell you how excited I am for this week's episode. I know that I say that every episode, but I really mean it when I say that this one will go down in history as one of my absolute favorite, favorite episodes, if not my favorite to date, definitely my favorite in a long time. I will be listening to this one multiple times over. This week, I have Sadaf Siddiqui on the show, who is a psychotherapist and the founder of Being, a digital mental health brand and private practice. And she is also an incredible creator who I could not recommend the follow enough. Trust me, you will love this content. I will link her Instagram in the show notes. So what we talk about in this episode is pretty much like every single thing that is so top of mind for me and is so in line with Active Ingredient, I cannot even begin to describe. I mean, you'll see literally five minutes into the show. And I cannot wait for you to listen. So in this episode, we are getting into how our relationships evolve when we are committed to personal growth and development how to grow our tolerance for discomfort, which seems like we all have a really hard time with that, including myself, how to allow two conflicting emotions to exist at the same time, the process of self-soothing, tangible steps to build your self-trust muscle, and just so much more wisdom I cannot even begin to describe. So I'm not going to try and I'm just going to go right into the show. So with that, Sadaf, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. First studio podcast. Yay. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Your account is so good. I am so impressed. And I also, I heard on the podcast that I was listening to on the way here that it's only been two years since you've been actively on social. So really, really cool. Two years for my business too, I guess, really, now that I think about it. Okay. Well, I said this like literally five seconds ago, but the whole point (laughs) of this episode and why I really wanted to have you on 
is because I feel like there's a part of this growth conversation and just like self-work, self-improvement, self-development that I think is a missing piece that like, it's not to scare people. I don't want this episode to be like a scary thing, but I do think that like, if people are going through it, my intention is for people to not feel alone and to also give tangible tools or things to kind of like keep in mind. But just part of this whole self-growth thing is that relationships transform. And obviously if you're transforming and you're choosing that for yourself, then the, the things that you're in relation to change. And that's how I want to start this podcast. Like, are you seeing this within your practice? Are you seeing, I I feel like we're also all waking up faster. And so what does this mean for us? Yeah, I am absolutely seeing this in my practice. So I work primarily with young adults. Um, I would say from 22 to like 40 is my like general population. And then I have some that are a little younger, some that are a little bit older. And the developmental part of it is depending on exactly where you are in your like identity mm-hmm. development, but kind of like addressing the, are we moving too fast? We are from the pandemic. I feel like everyone I know in that age range is like, I need to make up for the lost time. And a lot of people had downtime. A lot of people had quiet time to finally reflect. And it's when you really slow down that that's like when that personal growth and development really happens. Mm -hmm. And it's like extremely scary because you feel like you have to uproot all these things, not even just in romantic relationships. I Mm -hmm. feel like in friendships as well. And as someone who like is committed to the path and the journey and all those things, like I've definitely found myself in moments where like, I don't know if this if this happens in your practice, but you feel like you have so much clarity about certain things. And then all of a sudden, like you want to swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. And you're like, all of my friendships aren't right. All of my, like my job isn't right. Like all these, it's like you have all of these realizations and it's like that something about that feels like too drastic and like devaluing like the older versions of you that did have some sort of like knowing and trust like in whatever you were deciding at those moments. I can tell you are doing the work because you are saying all the right things. Okay. Um, so <laughs> like, that fuck. is... Sometimes I'm like, I think that the work confuses me sometimes, by It the is way. confusing. It okay. is, right? We're human and humans are complex. Our emotions are complex. But it is absolutely true that people who are kind of going through self-development, self-discovery, they will swing on the other side of the pendulum, especially with boundaries, right? If you're someone who never oh had God, boundaries totally. as a kid or didn't learn them or didn't have them modeled to you, when you start learning them, you're like, oh, wow, I can just set this boundary and then it might be a little too harsh. And that's not to say that some people may just need to set harsher boundaries, mm-hmm. right? But for the average person who isn't in like a toxic or abusive friendship relationship, they probably don't need to set like firm, firm boundaries. Yeah. They probably need to be more in the middle where they're not so loose, they're not so firm, but you tend to go to the extreme. And then slowly, as you keep developing, you meet in the middle. And you know that means you're going to have some days where they're really loose and you say to yourself, I shouldn't have done this. I should have been more assertive. I should have been more firm. And other days where you reflect back and say, I probably didn't need to be so rigid, Mm -hmm. but that's part of the growth process. And that's where the whole grace and compassion comes from because you're human, you're learning, and we learn through experience always. Yeah. So for someone who's in it right now and is like maybe questioning the relationships in their life, like what are the things that you're like, okay, this is something that is either like you've outgrown it Or it's something that you like could maybe be in like a grace period where you're still like allowing the people in your life the grace to grow. Because like that's that's something that for me, I'm like, okay, well, now I have these standards and these expectations (laughs) and like I want this in my life and I now believe that I deserve it. So it's like and I also still like love a lot of people in my life that I feel like aren't meeting that like 
energy or frequency that I, I'm looking to have in my life. So what is that like, I reality? I love this question. And I think every Gen Z millennial every adult really needs to ask themselves this. So I always guide my clients to think about their values when they're kind of making these decisions. Like, have I outgrown this person? Is this situation depleting me? I always say, well, what are your values? So your values are related to your needs, right? So if you value respect and you have someone that constantly disrespects you or you feel disrespected by them, that's not necessarily a sign to say, I need to cut them out. It's a sign to stop and say, what's going on and do like an internal audit is what I say. I have a lot of finance client I love that. clients and this works <laughs> for them. So an internal audit is where you really just check in with yourself and you say, is this a me problem? Is this a them problem? Right. And usually what it is, is a little bit of both. Sometimes you'll find that it's a you problem. Sometimes you'll realize it's a them problem. And then you stop and you say, what are the things that I can change before I take any drastic action about cutting them out? Is it that I'm not actually expressing my needs? Um, I value this, but I'm kind of, you know, accepting less. And when you do this internal audit, you start to realize like, oh, okay, here's some changes I can make. And then if those changes are not successful in changing the dynamic of the relationship, that's when you move on to the next phase, which is, okay, maybe... I can have a conversation with this person, or maybe I can set firmer boundaries, right? You don't always need to start with that yeah. like very intense action because also that feels uncomfortable, right? Totally. To cut someone out may just feel really good in the moment. It but feels like you're running. It feels like you're running. It's almost like avoidance. And yeah. this isn't to say that there's not going to be moments where you do need to be firm and cut someone out, right? Like maybe you need to go co no contact with someone, but for the majority of our relationships, we don't need to be that extreme, but taking an extreme action, it fulfills this like urgency need that we have. Like I just resolved it because as humans, we want to fix things. We want to resolve things. We don't want to sit through that journey of like distress tolerance of saying, Hey, Oh my God, expand on this. We, and me too. Like it is like we have no tolerance for discomfort. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And and I'm right there with you, right? Like we literally Every don't. day I have to remind myself when something feels really intense or hard, I can just sit through it. I can remind myself that I'm okay. And again, disclaimer. But like, what's is, okay? Because like, sometimes okay. I'm like, okay, like, am I okay? This <laughs> is a good question. I mean? No, no, this is a really good question. Thank you for asking. So that that is actually what you should ask yourself, right? For example, um, you get in a fight with your friend, right? You could say, I'm really hurt right now. I'm really sad right now. I'm frustrated and I am still okay. I'm physically safe. I can soothe myself. There are things I can do to feel better. So I am okay. I am hurting and I am okay. So that like dichotomy doesn't need to be so drastic in your mind. Like yeah. if I'm upset, I'm not okay because our actions, or I'm sorry, our thoughts, they do influence the way we feel and they do influence then what we do. So if you tell yourself, I'm not okay, and you say, I'm so upset, I'm not okay right now, then the next thing you might do is take a drastic action. Right. And it's also okay to say, right now I'm not okay, and I know that I will be in the future. Yeah. This is hard, I'm not okay right now, but you know, emotions and moments, they're fleeting. I think I, I read somewhere that each emotion lasts for like six seconds. And then it goes away. And throughout the day, we experience hundreds of emotions, right? Yeah. It's all temporary. And this is for the positive too. When you have a really like intense, happy moment, savor it and be present with it because that is also fleeting. Right. It's like so, attachment to either of these things. Exactly. So yeah. ask yourself if you're okay. And if you're not okay, walk yourself through that self-soothing process. 
that self-talk is life-changing. Yeah. But most of My us question, don't know how to do it. I know. And it's like, first of all, a thousand percent, most of us don't know how to do it. <laughs> and sometimes I think that I do. And then sometimes I'm like, no, I, I genuinely don't. But I'm curious for anyone listening and I'm asking for myself also. It's like when you're in those moments, I feel like sometimes when I'm like trying to talk myself that like this isn't this too shall pass like you know like both can exist at the same time like you can be content and safe and have a roof over your head and not be okay that sometimes I'm like is this falling under the camp of like bypassing like and sometimes Mm. you need the emotional like push to like get you to actually like make a change in your life you mean like are you suppressing the emotion yeah like are you like are you just like kind of like glossing over it by like (laughs) focusing on the things that are like good in that and I had someone on the podcast that was talking about the gratitude trap and how we're all like focused on the positive and like think of all the things that you're grateful for which has transformed my life so like I don't want to knock gratitude it really has changed the wiring of my brain and I can also see how like you can just like be kind of self-abandoning if you're just Mm -hmm. focusing on only that and not addressing the other things that are not not right for you. Right. When like the gratitude kind of turns into toxic positivity because you're like, I just have to be positive. Yeah. I have to just be thankful. But I I think the answer to your, your question about like, how do you know that you're not really suppressing it is to one, look at your patterns. Do you have a pattern of avoiding things, sweeping things under the rug or compartmentalizing and then never like getting that emotion out of the box, right? If the answer to that is yes, then you do need to be more mindful and say, I need to spend more time with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, then it's the discomfort thing. It's the discomfort thing. A lot of Can stuff actually Can we grow our comes, tolerance to discomfort? Absolutely. Okay. Really good question. And I want anyone who's listening to this to recognize that. You can increase your distress tolerance. If it's hard for you to do it alone, do it with a therapist. Do it through meditation. Read about it. Journal about it. But there are proven ways that you can increase your distress tolerance. Um, and like, sorry to like get really specific on that, no. but like my brain goes to this, but it's like, is allowing ourselves, and I already know the answer, but like, is allowing <laughs> ourselves to like be in more dis, dis- tolerance, is that the word? Or like to not, to be uncomfortable? Uh-huh. Like, is that like choosing to hurt ourselves? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I'm just like allowing myself to have more space to like be in pain. Like, is that actually like hurting you? It depends. It's not a black and white answer because it also depends on like the time, right? If you are going through grief, you know, it's like, let's say you've gone through a breakup. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that for the first few weeks and even longer, you're going to be in a state of maybe shock. You're going to be sad. You're going to be down. You're not going to have your usual ways of coping and that's okay. So give yourself grace. But if you know back to the patterns that you're someone who tends to wallow, and then kind of self-isolates, yeah, you're hurting yourself, right? So part of like the process is figuring out like, how do I cope? And what are the things that help me and what are the things that don't help me? So for example, if your pattern is isolation, so when you're going through a tough time, you notice <laughs> you notice that you like stop talking to your friends, you stop making plans, you start canceling plans, you don't get out of bed often, but it's you know not like depression or anything. It's yeah. just like something that you notice that you do This is your sign to say, I have enough self-awareness to know this is what I do. So I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to make plans. I'm going to try to get an accountability buddy. And you don't need to make plans five days a week, but maybe plan for one coffee with someone, one dinner with someone. And that will slowly start to change your habits. And what that does, because that's a coping tool, right? Social connection when you're hurting can be really positive for the way that you heal, the way that you grieve. And so you're kind of taking that action Mm -hmm. to change that, even though you might not have the motivation to do it, right? That's like that self-awareness tool. I do this. I don't 
want to do this. I don't want to really fix it, but I know that I have to. That's so interesting psychologically because I feel like the conversation Mm -hmm. as a collective right now, it's like, listen to that voice. And it's like last night, for example, I was like, I had a dinner plan and I just genuinely did not have it in me. I was like, I just want to go to yoga. Like I want to go to yoga class. I don't want to go, whatever. And in my, in my like psychology or my brain, I was just like, no, I'm getting a ping to not go. I don't want to go. But it's like that also falls under under isolation. You know what I mean? But I think that's different because you're replacing one activity with another positive activity that's mm. good for you, right? Yeah. So in that moment, I actually always tell my clients to ask themselves two questions every day. And I say, do it even when you're not in stress or like a crisis situation. And those are, how do I feel and what do I need? If the way that you can answer in that moment is, I actually need to take care of my body today. I need movement. Then that's okay. That's not social isolation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And sometimes people are like, well, how do I know what I need? And I say, well, then start with the other question. How do I feel? And if you don't know how you feel, Google the feelings wheel. The Feelings Wheel by the Gottman Institute, really, really good. So amazing. So Google it. I'm going to post it on on the Active Movement. You should do that. And then, and then you pick how you feel. And sometimes when you know you feel a certain thing and you know, when I feel frustrated, I need to go to my boxing class. When I feel sad, I need to see this friend in particular who always has really good like words yeah. for me. So if you don't know how you feel, start with what you need. Yeah. Try to address one of them. And then based on what the answer is, then you can say, okay, I'm not actually isolating right now. I actually need this. But if It's like you, self-trust. Self-trust, which is- a whole nother topic. Which is also just yes. like, it's so layered. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I'm, I'm curious because you said that you work primarily with women. I do. What are you seeing right now in your practice or like what's kind of like the thing that they keep coming up against when it comes to self-trust? Well, Gen Z, it's a little different and millennials is a little bit different. I think that Gen Z population is really having that mental health conversation. And I think millennials didn't have it growing up as Mm -hmm. much. And so the way that they're kind of approaching it is different. And just, this is what I see in my practice. So with Gen Z, I think there is this push between like for wanting to trust themselves more and you know, they're, they make mistakes because they're human and it's part of the process, but there is this push for self-trust. And I think a lot of millennials didn't have that self-trust. So just kind of formulating that self-trust is like confusing and weird. And, you know, they're setting boundaries because they're saying, I know this friendship doesn't feel right. I'm going to trust myself. But for them to do it is a lot harder for someone who's younger and Why? grew up with this messaging. Honestly, it's because they didn't grow up with hearing this. They probably didn't observe their parents doing it. But Gen Z, the conversations around mental health that they're having are great, mm-hmm. right? Gen Z is kind of a very lonely um, population because they grew up on technology versus millennials. They grew up probably playing outside more, reading books more. Right. It's like pros and cons. The AOL connection that they had to sit yeah. through, right? There isn't, there wasn't this like immediate gratification for yeah. access to everything. And so we, millennials just had, I say weeks, I'm a millennial, Same. but we just had a lot more chances to socially connect and build those, I guess, like memories in our brain of how to connect and how to feel comfortable. And Gen Z just, doesn't have that as much. Yeah. And I think they're learning. And also like Gen Z had two, three years of the pandemic. Right. For those people who were in high school and college, those are crucial, crucial times when you build friendships and you learn, this is how I want to act. This is how I don't want to act. Right. Millennials were past that, but um, self-trust is different for both of them. But either way, it's it's a process and it's, it's hard. So what, for someone who listens to that and they're like, I want to build that self-trust muscle. I, I Something in that like rung true for their soul. What are some kind of ways, and I know it's like 
tips and tricks is like so not the vibe, but like anything that you would, like anyone listening, like what can you tell them yeah. that would help them? Because it's like rewiring your actual brain yes. and program. Yes. When you learn to trust yourself, you literally rewire your brain chemistry. And I think st- part of it, I, I love tips and tricks for things like this because I'm a person who's very practical. And I know of, I loved listening to you on that podcast because I was uh, like, she is like a practical psychotherapist. It's, it's, it's not important. like this esoteric, like know yourself. Yeah. And that stuff is really inspiring and motivating. But part of the reason I wanted to create my Instagram page in the beginning, and I promise I'll answer your question. Yeah. yeah. But the part of the reason is because I didn't see a lot of content that was like, how to actually do this. I would see things like, um, you know, give yourself grace. And I'm like, well, what does that look like? Like, what What, does that mean? What does that mean? Or, um, it's like also what is like, it's sorry to like harp on that specific one, but like that, that one we hear all the time. And it's like, what is grace? (laughs) I said it too earlier. Yeah. But like, it's like, what is grace Mm -hmm. and what is just like lying to yourself? Yeah. Like, it's a very good question. What's the line? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Questions like that. Exactly. Or when people say like, let go, what does not serve you? I'd always be like, okay, so what's the first thing I do? Right. And so I do like tips and tricks because I think it gives people a starting point. Yeah. Um, your question. Yes. Which I for someone for someone who wants to trust themselves. Yes. Okay. So I think the first thing if you want to trust yourself is to just kind of accept the truth that it's a process. And you can start the process of trusting yourself. And throughout that journey, there's going to be times you don't trust yourself. And that doesn't mean you don't have self-trust. It just means that the journey is this like up and down thing, but you always want to just be going higher. And I know anyone's listening is not going to be able to see what no, I'm I'll doing with my, my hands. <laughs> um, but I would say, start with just accepting that, um, to start with being able to ask yourself the hard questions. You're not going to be able to trust yourself if you don't know yourself, because can you really trust someone that you don't know? Like a friend who never opens up to you or like a partner you're dating. That's like really mysterious. There's always this like strange, like feeling of like, do I know them? Do I trust them? And so do that with yourself ask yourself the hard questions and be honest with yourself. So many people are not always honest with themselves or they're like superficially honest, mm-hmm. right? They'll say like, oh yeah, I have a rough relationship with this girl. And then like in, in a session, I'll say like, tell me more about this and I'll push. And it'll end up being that they're jealous of this friend and that jealousy drives their relationship, but they weren't able to name that emotion. They weren't able to say, you know what? I'm jealous of this person. And I have to remind them and say, Jealousy is a normal human emotion. We wouldn't be human if we didn't at least once in our life have feelings of envy or jealousy. Mm -hmm. Jealousy is not the problem. It's how you react to the jealousy that's the problem. And so really know yourself, be willing to answer those hard questions, um, and then practice. If you can't trust yourself with the little things in life, you're not going to get there for the big ones, right? It's like the same thing as if you don't practice regulating your emotions in your everyday life, when you have a crisis— you know, don't be surprised when you don't even know what to do. So the smallest things, for example, if you decide to say no to a friend for going to a concert because you're like, you know what? I'm not really into this band. I don't want to pay a hundred bucks for the Mm -hmm. show. And you say no. And then you have these guilt feelings afterward. It's okay to have the guilt feelings. You're human, but tell yourself that self-talk and say, you know what? I made the right decision for me at that time. And I know it seems really like silly and fluffy and small. It's just a concert. But those little things, they add up and they build up. Mm -hmm. And if you can't trust yourself for those things, it's going to be harder for the big things. Like, did I make the right decision in leaving this relationship? Right? Did I make the right decision in moving? So those big things are kind of just like what you're practicing every day for. So I want to get specific on this because I feel like at least in my process, when I had like very specific things that in the beginning, when I just was very disconnected from myself, 
like having, and it, it, it changes and evolves. And maybe that's like a separate question I'll ask about just like growing out of morning routines or like specific things, but like having actual tangible practices that start to rewire that. Like, for example, for me, it was the gratitude practice on my to-do list. Like that's where I started. And I would literally write down and that is what started to rewire my brain. But it was literally like, I I knew that it was a part of my morning because every single day I was doing my to-do list. So I just like stacked it onto that. For the self-trust exercise, it's like you gave that example of that concert, but it's like, okay, like the concert thing is probably going to happen like once every like two months. Like to me, at least for the gratitude thing, like that required daily practice. Like, is that something that you recommend? Like maybe like an end of day check-in journaling, like what is like the actual thing to do it every single day. Yeah. I think, well, part of it just starts with having that conversation and having that intention. I yeah. always say to my clients, if you don't have the intention, it's going to be really hard to have the action, right? For example, you're walking down the street, you run into like an old high school buddy and I never use the word buddy, <laughs> just realized. But anyway, you run into like an old high school friend. Podcasts, by the way, make people say like the funniest things. <laughs> yeah, I'm noticing. Um, so you run into someone and you both say, hey, like, let's get together. But you never end up getting together because both of you never had the intention to do it, right? So without that clear intention, it's going to be hard to put into practice. Mm -hmm. So I would start with that. And an intention could be journaling for example. I know a lot of people don't actually like to journal, right? They they think it's fluffy. They don't know what to write. So then start with affirmations. Um, I think affirmations are really simple and I make my clients do it in session with me. And every time they do it, they cringe. They cringe because it's very hard to do it. And so many people- Why is it so hard for us? It, it is. You know, let's practice an affirmation right now. Oh my God. What's fuck. one thing that you're struggling with? And if you don't want to share, I'll make something up. Um... Oh my God, just one. Um, <laughs> I am struggling with self-trust. Okay. So an affirmation that you could do is, I trust myself to make the right decision, even if there are consequences. Say it. I trust myself to make the right decisions, even if there are consequences. Say it again. I trust myself to make the right decisions, even if there are consequences. Yeah. And I noticed you looked away. Yeah. And I noticed you like kind of looked down. Yeah. It's like a moment that makes you feel uncomfortable to affirm yourself. Yeah. And I know that for some people, affirmations don't always translate well because they're like, well, if I don't believe it and I'm saying this, it feels like cognitive dissonance where I'm like saying something that I don't believe. Mm -hmm. But the way that messaging works and there's science behind this is that if you do repeat something enough times, it starts to rewire the way you think about things and you really integrate it with your being. So the reason that like self-esteem is sometimes like developed based on how your parents treat you is because you've heard that messaging over and over and over again. And the first time you hear it, maybe it doesn't really mean anything. Second time, third time, if a, if a parent always says, you're really funny, you're really funny, over and over, you, by the time you're a teenager, you're going to be like, I'm funny. You know, um, obviously a very simple yeah, example, yeah, yeah. but that's how affirmations work. But mm. if they're not for you, then try talking with a friend, right? I think the some of the conversations I've had with people that I trust, they will kind of be very direct with me and, and they'll say, you know, here's times when you trusted yourself and you made a good decision. And yeah. here's times when you trusted yourself and you didn't make a good decision, but guess what? You're here and you're still okay. Yeah. So self-trust isn't about like, did I make the right decision? It's that I made the right decision at the time with what I knew. Mm. Because what you know in five years is different than what you know now. Even what you know tomorrow might be different. Yeah. But you have to know that when you make decisions, you do it with the information at that moment. And that gives you a little bit of grace, right? Mm. So if you're kind of doing these things with the intention of I'm building self-trust every day, you just get there.
Yeah. You just, you kind of just get there. Um, and how long? <laughs> it's a journey. I mean, I'm a therapist. I teach this for a living and every day I still have to say, you know, like I don't, I, it's, it's okay to second guess myself, but like, you know, I have to ask myself, am I making the right decision? And then I have to go back and say, I don't know, but this is what I've decided and I'm going to see, and whatever consequences there are, I'm going to deal with those exactly like the affirmation. And that like, I said. have the capacity to deal with it. Yes. I love that one. That's yeah. a really good affirmation. I have the capacity to deal with it. I, I follow this parenting expert, Dr. Becky, mm. and she says a lot of times, like I can do hard things. And I started, I, I don't know if it was for a kid that she was yeah, saying Glennon it for. Yeah, Doyle says that all the time Maybe too. that's who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I say that to myself when I'm yeah. going through a really tough moment. I say, I can do hard things because every hard moment that's happened in my life, which is a lot of moments, I've gotten through them. Yeah. Right? A little totally. cliche, but that self-talk, if you can get yourself to a point where you are really practicing it, it's huge because without realizing it, you probably have a lot of negative self-talk. Like, I don't know if I made the right decision mm-hmm. or, oh my God, did I say something dumb? Are they, they're mad at me. They're mad at me, right? That self-talk is so automatic that we're not even aware of it. Oh, it's like so embedded in everything. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I I sometimes feel like I'm playing whack-a-mole with myself. And I'm like, it feels like mental fucking gymnastics. Yeah. I'm Simone Biles in here. Yeah. It's insane. And it's like, I also think with this like self-growth and like just personal development conversation, like, and, and for someone who like d- definitely ventures off to the extremes, like how, how to do it in a way that's not obsessive and that's not like micromanaging my every thought and my everything. Cause it's like, you hear that and it's like a little scary. Like you, like what you say to yourself, the self-talk like really ends up being the reality that you experience. Like that is true. And it's also scary as hell. So like for someone who hears that, it's like, you, there's like a level that you can also become a little bit scared of your own mind. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, when you have thoughts that are kind of like intrusive, it, it is absolutely yeah. scary. Something that I tell some of my clients is to actually take time off from the self-work. So my clients mm, will sometimes, I have this. some dedicated clients and I <laughs> love them for this. They will be like, can we meet two or three times a week? And I'm like, no, if I took you for three times a week, I would probably make a lot more money, but I am obviously like in this field because I believe in the value of Mm -hmm. the process. So sometimes I'll say to them when they ask me for more book recommendations on self-help, I'll say, no, why don't you read a book? Why don't you go read, you know, a book to get lost in someone else's story? So you're not just so consumed with your own story. You need to take days off. Just like when you go and do a workout, you're not necessarily going to work out the same muscles five days a week or seven days a week, right? Unless you're on like some very specific routine, you're not going to do that. You have a rest day in the middle. Why? To give your muscles a break. You need to let them recover. You need to like hydrate. You need to do all of that. Same with your emotional muscles. You cannot be thinking about ways to improve seven days a week. It's too much. It's too much. And it's a process, right? Just like working out, right? If you go to the gym one time, as much as I wish this were true, I would love to have abs the next morning. But why does it not work that way? Because it's not how our muscles work. And people really need to start seeing emotional muscles and physical muscles in the same capacity. Mm. So take time off. Don't overly focus on yourself. And I know easy to say, but those things in the middle where I say, go get lost in someone else's story, go read some novels, go talk to your friend. And when you go to dinner with them, don't say anything about you. Ask them about themselves, right? Like be there for them. And like, it also helps you have perspective. Everyone is struggling. And when we're so consumed with our own struggles, we like forget that we're not alone. And I don't know, it actually helps me to think that I'm not alone in any kind of pain that I have. 
I don't know. Does that help you? A thousand percent. Yeah. One thousand percent. And it, it, I also feel like in this work, like it does, it could be like self-absorption uh, or like, and, and it's yeah. like, there's a line, obviously it's like, you definitely want to show up for yourself and you want to be doing those things. And yeah, like sometimes I find myself so lost in it that yeah. I'm like, have I like called my parents this week? Like, you know mm. what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, just cause like you want to, there's like this like feeling of like a destination and it's like, there is no destination. It's like a constant work in progress. And I think that also in the culture that we live in of just the immediate gratification, it's something I talk about on the show all the time. And I'm curious from your perspective, like how can we proactively knowing this? Cause it's like one thing to know it, but then like to feel it in your body to like genuinely feel and believe that it's a long game and be okay and at peace with that. I just spit. <laughs> but to be like at peace with that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like how do we actively work on being okay with delayed gratification in a world where everything is so damn fast? You know, when you know the answer to that, can you tell me? Yeah. Because I don't have an answer to that. Okay. But I have to remind myself or my clients and myself actually, literally on a daily basis that they need to get out of the state of urgency. They get a text message, they send a quick response, right? Everything is like, I need to do it now. And I always say to them, and we practice in sessions sometimes, I'll ask them a question and I'll say, before you answer, you need to wait 10 seconds. And it is so hard. 10 seconds is such a long time if you're not used to just like pausing. And and some people are already actually naturally very good at this. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of the clients that I work with, there is this like anxiety when things can't be resolved or addressed right away. Yeah. And so the first step is just to accept that we nothing will happen if we don't take action right away. And that's that pause right? The interesting thing is, and I, I won't go into like the deep science of this and like bore people, but it's we not have boring. Like, I love that stuff. Okay. So we have two sides of our brain. We have the amygdala, which is like the emotional side. Mm-hmm. And then we have the prefrontal cortex, which is the like logical side. Okay. And the emotional side is what like really hits first. So for example, if you were like somewhere and there was a line in front of you, your amygdala would be like, run. If you waited to think about that, you would get eaten, right? Hand on the stove, your brain tells you before you have a chance to think about it, move your hand. And if you didn't, you would continue to get burned and be in pain. So the prefrontal cortex, the logical side, doesn't actually get activated until six seconds after a stimulus is presented. And six seconds is actually not that, it's it's kind of a long time. Like I'm going to count to six right now. One, two, three. Four, five, six. Was that like a real six count or was that like slower than? I don't know, actually. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I have no idea. This is what I think of six yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like the amount of time, the minimum amount of time that it takes for that logical side of your brain to get activated. The minimum, meaning it just started, right? It's like you're turning on your coffee machine. Like it takes like a few seconds to get heated. So when we, if we were to rely on the prefrontal cortex to run from a lion, we'd be right. gone. We wouldn't be a species. We, w- we would just be gone, right? Yeah. But the thing is, our brain has this like, I don't know if it's an issue, but our brain sometimes confuses a non-threatening situation as a threatening situation. So like our partner says something kind of rude to us, we envision them as like a lion and we're like, oh no, they're attacking us. We've got to act. And you have to say to yourself, no, amygdala, you're reacting because you're trying to protect me. It's always trying to protect you. And then you can say, I'm going to wait for my prefrontal cortex to kick in before I respond. 
in those six seconds, what are we doing? Like, are we Ideally, breathing? Ideally, it's longer than six seconds, okay. but excellent question. I'm going to give you a tip and trick. Okay. Yeah, you can you can take a deep breath. And actually, my husband will often say, I just heard a sigh whenever he says something. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And now he knows exactly what that means. I'll literally go, and he's like, okay, I heard a sigh. Are you frustrated? And that'll give me a chance to actually collect myself. Or um, like you get a text and you're really angry or someone says anything to you or an email, right? Yeah. You're like starting to type. And I always say, I have so many in Wait. my drafts. It's like literally <laughs> That's insane. so smart. <laughs> type it, but remove the person's name. If my name. drafts got leaked. <laughs> <laughs> I pray that they never do. No, they're they're pretty funny. Okay. They're it's like, really funny. get out of my life. <laughs> Per your last email, Susan. Yes. So that's a great tool to like prevent yourself from actually sending it, but you really need to practice that pause. I completely forgot the question that I was answering. I honestly forgot it too. But, but I love where we're at though. Okay. So either way, it's a really important like. Oh, delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. Right. So if we can start relying a little bit more on our prefrontal cortex, I think as people, we will make better decisions. And again, the six seconds is just the start to activating it. You can take 10 seconds, you can take a minute, you can take three days, right? And if you're going to take a long time, for example, to get back to someone, I think that's okay. You just need to communicate, right? Like so many people kind of shut down, they withdraw, and the other person is left kind of in the dark. So I do always encourage my clients to say, okay, you know what? I got your request or I hear what you're saying. I'm going to think about it and I'm going to follow up. And then of course, accountability is actually following up, but Mm -hmm. that's that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. I'm curious back to what we were talking about earlier with just needs and values and like knowing yourself enough to know what those are. Are there specific questions? Because I feel like, I don't know, I've seen values lists and I'm like, all of it, mm-hmm. like all of it. And like, d- depending on s- different situations. And that's when I sometimes I'm like, I'm are my expectations of the people in my life too high mm. because my value list is insane? Yeah. Or are those just my needs and and they matter to me? Yeah. So like, what is the line there? Because it's like people are also human and like, I don't know if having 25 aligned values mm-hmm. is reasonable. Yeah. So those are really good self-awareness questions, by the way. So props, if you're like thinking about that, that's really, really good. So one of the activities that I do um, or exercises that I do with my clients in the first three sessions is actually called a needs assessment. And it's exactly like you said, when you first ask someone, what do you need? they will list 80 things, Mm -hmm. right? And then I'll say, what are your values? And those are usually a little bit less. I find that it's harder for people to list values than needs. Can you do a distinction of what a need and a value is? Yeah, so a need is something like, I need consistent communication. A value is, I value um, spontaneity. I value freedom. I value autonomy. And there's overlap, Mm -hmm. right? So value is kind of like a principle that guides you. Um, For example, if my clients, um, one of my clients actually did this, they listed forgiveness as one of their values. And they were struggling to forgive someone. And I said, it was more like, it was more like a grudge more than forgiveness. And at one point I said, you know, you've told me that you value forgiveness. And mm. one of the reasons you don't feel good about this 
process with your friend is because you are not living in alignment with your value. And when we don't live in alignment with our values, we don't feel grounded. We feel disconnected. And that click, like kind of really that reframe really just like clicked in her. And she was like, I value forgiveness. And I'm like intentionally holding a grudge with this person. And it's making only me feel bad. It's not making the other person feel bad. And in that way, we're able to kind of say, what do you need now? You know that you want to forgive this person. You know, you don't want to hold a grudge. Um, what is it that you need? And she was like, I actually need a conversation with this person. And through little pieces, we were able to like, you know, put a, like a, like a plan together of how she was going to move forward. Because as I mentioned, I'm very practical and action oriented. I really do believe in the philosophical conversations, but I also want to give my clients like tools to say, I have this feeling, I have this thought, what do I do with it next? Mm. Um, so in that way, we were able to take a need, a value, a feeling, put it all together into a plan that like was going to feel like they're doing something about it. Not right. just like constantly sitting Ruminating with it. Yeah, it. exactly. It's like, okay, I know my values, now what? Now what? Right. It's a very important question. Yeah. Um, so to answer your original question, I think what I always start with is like a list, what I just ask them to like free associate. And it's usually a homework assignment. I give homework to my clients and <laughs> it's not that. real homework. It's, it's just like kind of like yeah. a way for them to take what we talk about in session and then like extend it outside of our session. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask them to write down a list of their needs and it will always be a really large list. And then we'll go back and we'll say, we're going to do a filter which ones of these are core needs as a non-negotiable to you and which mm -hmm. ones of these are actually wants. And what always ends up happening is that a lot of the needs are actually wants. For example, like if someone will list, um, I need someone who is always willing to like, like a need will be like, I need to go camping once a year. Like it's my downtime. It's like what I need. And I'm using an example, my if my client listens to this, she's going to laugh. <laughs> but like camping is like one thing that she had put down as like a need in a partner. And as we started talking about it, I was like, so is it non-negotiable or is it something that you can still go camping? And it doesn't matter if your partner does. And it was like this like internal struggle to be like, but no, like I want to go camping with them. And I said, yeah, exactly. You want to go camping with them. Do you need to go camping with them? Right. And that like internal discomfort of like really being able to say this is non-negotiable, meaning it's a deal breaker versus this is something I can tolerate the distress of. But this is where I feel like, like why the list feels so long. And it's like, are you settling if you are with someone who doesn't want to go camping with you? Yeah. So this is a, one of the questions then we ask, do you feel like you're giving up a core part of yourself? And for some people, the answer to that camping question might be yes. And then, you know, it's no longer a want, it's a core need. Mm. And maybe the camping example is, it was just on my mind. Yeah, no, but that's a good happened. one because it's like not charged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, this is a question for yourself. And yeah. you know what the beautiful thing about being a human is? You're allowed to evolve and change your mind. You might start off saying this is a want and then realize, you know what? It's a need. Or you could realize that it is a need, but maybe there's compromise involved in it. Mm. That's why these conversations are ongoing. It's really not black and white. And that's actually how therapy works. It's like a process. You know, you learn about yourself, you change your mind, you evolve. That's okay. Yeah. Actually, can you, I've had a therapist on, but I, I feel like I would love to hear your take on like, mm -hmm. what can someone expect from therapy that has been wanting to do it for a really long time and is so scared. Yeah. Like I, I feel like what I hear from everyone is like, they're so scared. Like they don't want to have to like deal with all this shit that comes up that like they may have been avoiding for forever. Mm. Like how long does it, because I feel like they think it's like in one session, like their life blows up. Well, it, it can, but also <laughs> the thing is like, I will just validate anyone right now who thinks that therapy is scary. Like it is, you're right to believe that it's scary because you're opening yourself up to a complete stranger and you're probably sharing things that, 
you haven't shared before. And to be honest, you don't need to share things right away. If it's going to feel too scary for you, don't. The first session can be like a little superficial. You can, the first session always has like a little bit of an intake, but it can be superficial. You don't have to share or divulge too much. And you can also be honest with your therapist. If, if it's something you're mm-hmm. comfortable with saying, I'm slow to open up. This is scary for me, right? Ideally, your therapist is someone who creates a safe space for you. Um, you know, some of my clients will email me what they want to talk about before they get to a session because they'll say, it is too difficult for me to bring it up, right? Like I got into this big fight with my mom or I got into this, you know, like I have this issue and they'll email me. So then when we get to the session, I will just ask, right? And also I give my clients the opportunity to either have me lead the session or have them lead it. So if this is something that you're kind of scared to do is like bring up topics on your own, tell your therapist, I would love it if you could lead the session. I would love it if you could ask about my day, if you could ask about these five topics. I love that. Yeah. And I, I say that in my actual intake before clients actually start with me, because I want them to know, I mean, therapy is scary, right? I've been on the other end of it. Mm -hmm. And like, even as a therapist, and even as being someone who's extroverted, loves connecting, Mm -hmm. like loves sharing, maybe oversharing, it's still (laughs) scary. So I, I fully get it. But a relationship with a therapist, it builds over time. I think if you go to a therapy session and expect it to be like really warm and fuzzy, honestly, for most therapy sessions, if you're really sharing a lot, it might not be, mm-hmm. right? You you want your therapist to be compassionate and like warm and welcoming and inviting. But if you're talking about hard things, it's you're going to have hard conversations, right? right? So it is scary, but shop around until you find someone that you want to share with. Because you're a practical person, where do people shop around? Because I feel like people say that you have to like date therapists to like get to the right one, but like, where do they go to find them? So there's a lot of websites. Um, I know these days, a lot of people find therapists on Instagram. And I think in some ways that's nice because you can kind of see the way that they are. Mm -hmm. Like when my clients come to me, I think they know exactly what they're getting because everything they see in my content Mm -hmm. and all my content is based off of a conversation I've had with a client. Like literally every single one of my posts is based off of a conversation I've had in session. So that's why they're so potent. Like that you can just like feel that they're like live. They're all real situations, which is so wild. But the amount of people- they're universal. They're universal. And the amount of people that resonate with one always makes me think like, I need to do more- You're not not alone. alone. Like literally. I need to do more group therapy sessions. I used to do a couple of groups. I don't do them anymore. Oh, really? I just, I don't have the time, but like, it's something that I really think is valuable because to know you're not alone and to hear someone go through something you're going through, there's just like this relief, like, oh, I'm not weird. Yeah. You know? Totally. And we always feel different. Yeah. Um. Anyway, to answer your question, I think there's a lot of different websites you can go. I think the one that everyone knows, Psychology Today, the only problem with that website is that it's not always updated. But for the most part, it is good if you want to filter by insurance, by zip code. I love Alma. E-L-M-A. A-L-M-A. Okay. They also filter by insurance, which is really cool. So do a search and also just like Google searching, yeah. like therapists in my zip code, like enter your zip code and you'll probably get a bunch. Okay. And then it takes time to find one who's accepting new clients. That's what I like about Alma is that it literally tells you. Mm. Um, but there are so many websites like that, so many. Um, and in the beginning of my, like the start of my business, when I think I had like three clients, people would email me and be like, I'm in this area. Can you please find me a therapist? And I would spend hours looking for therapists because I generally just really love helping people and helping them find someone that they're 
like that's going to be a good fit and I no longer have time for that. But reach out to therapists on Instagram and see if they can help you if you're looking for an in-person provider in your area. If they say no, they say no. But a lot of therapists are willing to help because that's generally what we love doing. Okay. So that is the perfect segue for this question that I ask every single one of my guests, which is how did you get to this career path. I love to hear how healers heal or how they got to the path of healing. And I'm also curious as like a second part to that question, Mm -hmm. what were you like as a kid? Oh, I love that. Is there any correlation? Yeah. So I think a lot of people might not know this about me, but I'm a child therapist by training. I now work with young adults, but that's my Mm -hmm. background. And um, so that question is very meaningful because of that. Um, How I got in this field is I love kids. I love children. And all I knew from the time that I was a kid is that I wanted to do something with kids. I didn't know what that was going to be like, but my um, freshman year of undergrad, the summer after my freshman year, I actually got an internship at a children's hospital because it was like local and it was like really close to my parents' Mm -hmm. house and I was home for summer. And um, they randomly take like the interns and they place them in different departments. And I was put in the department with a psychologist who worked with kids who had autism, special needs, and also typically developing kids. And they were doing like a research study to figure out like what were some of the like similarities, differences. And so the psychologists would do play-based testing with the mm. kids, which was so fun because, you know, when you're like three or four, yeah. you can't really use words. And so she would like put toys and then like assess the kids based on how they played with the toys. And then she would do this report and then like work with the parents to say, here's some of the like developmental milestones we see. Here's the intervention that we recommend. And then they would do the intervention. And by the end of like the time, I think it was like a three or four month program that the kids would enroll in. There were so many positive changes in the kids. And there were so many positive changes in the parents because they were able to learn how to interact with them. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I just knew it. I was like, I think 19 years old. Three to four months. Yeah, because it was like a summer program that they enrolled in. But like, I just like from like a turnaround time, like that's yeah. really wild. With kids, right? interventions, early intervention with kids is life-changing. And I just knew that this is like the coolest thing and I loved kids and that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, I want to do therapy and testing. But you know, the funny thing is, is I didn't even know what a therapist did at that time. Like if you were to ask me, like, what does a psychologist do? What does a therapist do? I would be like, I don't know. Yeah. But So what do you do? So now I do play-based, but with adults um, yeah. and through conversation. So I do talk therapy. I do workshops with different organizations. Um, so of course, like I had to do like my undergrad yeah, and yeah. Then I did developmental psychology. And what I do now is kind of like a combination of like my training in child therapy and also development. Mm. So like my work is really like, how do we develop as kids? And then how does that show up in us as adults, Mm. right? Like the things that we learn as kids, how is that showing up in our relationships, our self-esteem, insecurity, attachment styles? Mm -hmm. Like how is it impacting us? And a lot of people don't actually want to dive into their childhood. And so we don't necessarily have to like go that far back, but really a lot of what we learn influences the way that we totally are today. It's, it's just like the crazy truth. how like that little kid in us is like the driver. Yeah. Our, you know, inner child, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of controversy about that term because, you know, people are like, well, what's the science behind the inner child? But really every stage of development is still within us, right? When you're a teenager, yeah. when you're an adult, it's just, it's, it's a cool thing. But it's also like sad if you didn't have the most positive or healthy development as a kid. So then as adults, you're doing so much unlearning and that's hard. 
Yeah. That's really hard. I'm actually really curious. My sister's a speech therapist and she mm. works with um, kids with autism. Yeah. And we talk about this all the time. And she's just, she is so good at what she does and she genuinely cares. And I'm like the most proud sister. Um, but we talk about just like the parents of the kids. And she's just like, you can tell immediately, like if it's like a parent that just does not want to accept yeah. that this is the reality and like to actually take steps. And I'm like, it's just like such a good analogy for life in general, for adults, typical people, people without yeah. all people, you know? And I'm curious, like in the time that you were working with kids and you saw all this progress, what was it about the parents or like maybe about the way that you were communicating to the parents or what was yeah. it that was like clicking? Yeah. Well, first of all, you asked the best questions. <laughs> um, so it's an important part of like your child's development is like how soon a parent can accept where they are. Right. I'm sure you've heard like like people say that no child is the same, right? Even two siblings mm -hmm. in the same family are, are very different. And it's a disservice to the child mm -hmm. when I think they're kind of forced to be treated in like, in, in like one route. Mm -hmm. So I think the sooner parents can accept that their child is different or, or you know, whatever their development is, doesn't have to be special needs. Yeah. I think that really helps. And then also how willing they are to learn. I think some parents have more capacity than others, right? There's parents who work two jobs and maybe don't have time to like sit and do an intervention every day with their kid. So just like resources makes a difference. Mm -hmm. um, the willingness to learn and also like the willingness to have resources to be able to like receive support. And right. at the hospital, I think it was like a research study. So it was like free, but you know, a lot of kids don't always have the right. ability to get resources. But the sooner that like, if there is something that is um, different about the kid, the sooner they're able to get a diagnosis, for example, the more services that they're going to be able to get, the more services they're going to get through insurance, mm -hmm. through schools. And like I said, early intervention is really key. So it is really hard to think that something could be different with my child. It's very, very hard, right? And I, I think I heard a doctor say one time, you know, the only thing worse than getting cancer is having your child have cancer, right? Like it's, that's like how like hard it can be for a parent yeah. to accept that a child might have autism or anxiety or like might have special needs, but- Because I feel like they take it on as their own. Yeah. Like it's like, or that it's their fault. Right. Like what did I do wrong? Or it's yeah. just, it's hard to, it's kind of just hard to accept for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, so I think the acceptance is really important. Um, and then, is you know- there, Sorry to cut you off, but yeah. like, is there like when, when you're working with kids, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know how long it's been since you've been working with them, but in that time, like, is there a plan for the parents as well? Yes. So okay. when I worked with them, there always was because what you kind of do with a therapist, you also want the parents to then generalize. Right. You want the parents to also repeat those tools. Um, so part of it is parent training. And sometimes mm. parents don't get that. I think sometimes parents choose to get training for themselves and not for the kid. Fine. Sometimes parents don't have the proper tools to do it themselves. So they get it for the kid. Both great, right? Like ideally mm. you want both. Um, but I think the more, you know, hands-on parents are, but also the more they take care of themselves, right? Totally. When you can take care of your own needs, I think you're much more present for your child. You can just, you know, you can just also Observe tolerate, also, tolerate yeah. more distress. Uh, tolerating <laughs> distress. I feel like that might be the, to have that. to be the headline of this yeah. episode. Like yeah. we can tolerate distress. Yeah. We can do hard things. We can do hard things. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear about being. Okay. And why you started it. What is it? And also, are you taking clients? I am. As okay. of this month, I'm taking clients. Amazing. Um, And I'm expanding my practice to hire other um, professionals. So definitely more yeah. than just me. 
because I know that maybe I'm not for everyone. Um, so being is my business. It's the name of my brand. It's the name of my business and it is a private practice. Um, and through the private practice, I work with people individually in groups. And I also work with organizations to kind of like mm -hmm. teach their employees how to take better care of themselves. Um, that's something that really took off in the pandemic. And I started my practice in the pandemic. Yeah. And then on Instagram being, which is your dot being, is really just a platform where I can share it's resources. It's such a good follow. I cannot even recommend Thank it enough. You. I like if you're listening, that. please follow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and it really, it, it just really arose from, I just like wasn't seeing the stuff very practically the way that I wanted to see it. Mm -hmm. It was very fluffy and sometimes fluffy is good. Like sometimes I read something fluffy and I need it. I need yeah. that motivation, that inspiration. And I noticed that a lot of stuff that I was reading was like, it touched like the very superficial part. And I really wanted to get deeper. And as I started building my practice, um, I was, I was like noticing that like, that's what people really need, right? It feels good to talk about like, tools and, and tips and stuff, but only when it's like, you really know what you're trying to address. Yeah. If you don't actually know what you're addressing, all of it seems kind of like overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to reduce the overwhelm and I wanted to have people feel less alone and Hopefully that's what it does. No, you did. And I love to know that it's like actual examples from your clients yeah. because it's it just goes to show the universality. Is that the word? Like how universal it all is. Yeah. And I'm thankful for my clients because without them, I'd have no content. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Okay. I have to ask you this question because I ask every single guest and you're a therapist. So I'm really curious the first one that comes to mind for you. But obviously in this journey, we're unlearning and deprogramming a lot of things. What is something that you feel like is the first thing that comes to mind when I say, what's something you've unlearned or in the practice of constantly unlearning and you've relearned it in a resourceful way that actually serves you today? Yeah, that there are necessarily not any right decisions. That's the biggest thing I've unlearned. And I know we actually talked about that mm -hmm. earlier, but that's the biggest thing that I've had to unlearn. And it's something that I noticed my clients are unlearning too. We kind of grew up thinking like, I have to make right decisions. I have to make good decisions. And if I make the wrong decision, then like there's gonna be like terrible consequences. But the thing is, is that you have to make decisions based on what feels right for you, based on the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. You need the emotional brain, you need the logical brain and the middle ground between the both of them is your wise brain. So if you're making decisions with the best that you can with your wise brain, then you are doing the best that you can. And that's all that matters. That's like the biggest thing that I've learned and also unlearned the opposite. Mm. Oh. Okay. Well, I feel like I can have 5,000 <laughs> conversations with you. This was so good. Where can people find you? And you are welcome back here literally whenever Aww. you can have a repeat position right there. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was so fun. You, uh, this was, this was like the best conversation and I appreciate you inviting me in. Um, people can find me on my website, which is sadafsadiki.com, um, or my work website, which is wellnesswithbeing.com, my Instagram, um, getting a lot of pressure from my clients to get back on TikTok, TBD, mm. <laughs> um, but at your.being. Amazing. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a second episode all on just like social media comparison oh, and all of that. Oh my goodness. Okay. That is like a long conversation. I know. I feel like it deserves its own yeah, moment. Especially okay. with Maybe Gen next Z. time. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Maybe next time I'm in New York. Thank you. Thank you so much for getting to the end of the episode. And more importantly, thank yourself for choosing to learn more about how to come home to yourself. As always, take what resonates with you and simply let go of what doesn't. 
I would really appreciate it if you can give the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen, because that's the way that the show will continue to grow. And we are all about growth here. I'm sending you so much love and I will see you next week.